Hello, everyone, and welcome to Two Goals. I'm Maria Laura. And I'm Katya. And today's episode marks the beginning of a new chapter here at Two Goals Podcast. From the very first conception of this project, we wanted to unite our forces, not only with committed professionals to the football industry, something we have proudly accomplished, but with organizations striving for our same objectives, essentially those leading towards a more inclusive sport for all. That said, we're thrilled to announce a partnership with Leadership Women Football, a platform with one sole mission, working diversity to transform and promote change through innovation, inclusion, and education. With their companion, we will start a series of podcast episodes with former LWF Academy alumni, a community of individuals wanting to participate in the transformation of society through the power of sports. Our first guest from this partnership crossed the Atlantic Ocean to study and continue growing within the beautiful game. With a bachelor degree in journalism and communications, she worked for several years at the Brazilian Football Confederation with both men's and women's national teams. Then she decided to move to Portugal to work and study. Fernanda Coimbra is a master in sports management and currently works at the Portuguese Football Federation as events manager. Fernanda is the one behind the scenes making the magic happen. She's here to speak with us about her professional journey from Brazilian to Portuguese lands. Fernanda, welcome to Two Goals. So, Fernanda, we will start this episode recalling your roots through Carlos Drummond de Andrade poetry. Futebol se joga no estádio, futebol se joga na praia, futebol se joga na rua, futebol se joga na alma. In English, this should be more or less like this. Football is played in the stadium. Football is played on the beach. Football is played on the street. Football is played in our soul. And we brought this excerpt from uh, Carlos Drummond de Andrade poem. Why? It was not only because we love it, <laughs> but also because everything's there. Football is intrinsic in almost every Brazilian. Actually, football is everywhere in your country. You are all about football fandom. And that's why we would like to start your story by asking you about your first football love. There was or there is any club, player or event which reminds you about your initial interests in football? Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, actually, I started to fall in love with football, with men's football, not women's yet when I was a child and my dad used to take me to Maracanã to watch Botafogo in Rio de Janeiro, that is the family club. And we, we, we went like thousand games with my dad, my sister and my brothers too. And they have, uh, my father had like a group that friends that they, they always go together to the stadium and we started to go with them and after that we made our group to go together our friends and and i think this started there but i never thought that i could work so close to football not in the game exactly i mean it was just for fun <laughs> that is really interesting because after that i mean after all these amazing memories you did pursue a bachelor in communication and journalism, which is like your expertise area. I think, I mean, right now you're working on events, but you started your career in this business segment, so to speak. And you, you study at Pontificia Universidade Católica do Rio de Janeiro. 
could you please tell us a bit about your experience back, back then? You, you, you already mentioned that you didn't, you, you weren't certain about the possibility of working with sports, but maybe if you can also join to this answer, what about covering women's sport? What, what did you learn back then about women's sport? And how was this possibility thinking about, about those years? Uh, when I started uh, my university in journalism, I thought that I wanted to be a TV reporter for sports. I always thought that they were like amazing on TV, like very powerful. But when I started my classes, I, I realized that I couldn't do it. I, I'm not shy, but I feel so uncomfortable in front of the camera. So this part of the my dream was over. So I didn't know at that time what kind of works, I, what kind of jobs I could do, not being a TV reporter or a reporter in sports. So I, I had like internships in a lot of, um, in music magazines, in uh, hard newspapers. And when I was, Almost finishing my my degree, I had the opportunity to do internship in CBS. So that's what when I start to work with sports. And I think that women's sports is very different. Uh, when I start, it's very different from where we are now. But of course, we can we cannot generalize. Football is one type of sports. Uh, volleyball is another one, swimming and the athletes are different, of course, we cannot generalize. But I think in my experience, the women, they have more attention with the reporters. They, they are more accessible and they are more, um, it's not friendly, but what I mean, they are more open to, to listen and to answer the questions. Even though it's not a great question for them, they always try, they, they, don't, they don't run away. They, they always try to answer. I don't know if I'm making myself clear. <laughs> yes, yes, you made. I think this is also connected to the cultural background or I think it's connected to that. Um, I would, would use a word that I, I don't like a lot, but it's courtesy, right? I think it's a bit of this, <laughs> but yeah, because nowadays everything can mean other things uh, than courtesy. But yeah, you mentioned that uh, uh, you, you did an internship at CBF and actually at 22, uh, you got the chance of a lifetime, at least for us, it is. <laughs> You were chosen to perform as the Brazilian women's national team media officer by the Brazilian Football Confederation, staying for more than seven years. Can you please describe here what does a media officer do? And if you can add, what were the main challenges you faced during this period? Yes, when I started to work there, I never thought that I could stay for seven years. <laughs> I mean, it, as you said, I thought that it was the dream job. The, and it was. I, I love it. I love it every moment I, I work there. Every opportunity. I've been to many countries, to World Cups, to Olympic Games, Copa Americas, many competitions with the youth and the, the A-team. 
but I never thought that I could stay there for seven years. <laughs> and speaking about what a media officer does, it's like the, the main objective is to promote your client. In, in that case was the women's national team. So I need to show them, to show the players, to, to make the press talk about them. And at that time in 2011, it was really, really, really hard because we didn't have the games on TV. We didn't have Facebook lives. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have other platforms to show our game. So I think the, the first challenge was to get the confidence to get to know the players, to get their confidence on me that I could do my work and they can, and they could trust me. Because if you don't have the trust of your clients, you cannot do anything in, in that position. So I think the first challenge was that, and know their history, because I didn't know at that time anything about women's football in Brazil. I didn't know, like may, maybe the basic, but I didn't know each player, I didn't know how they started to play, where were they from, where where they were playing, what what were they, their characteristics, their their stretch, their weakness. So I think the first challenge was that. And then as I was saying, people didn't watch women's football. They didn't watch on TV, they didn't watch anywhere neither the national team, neither the national league. So how could I make the press talk about it if people didn't see it? So it was kind of hard. So we had to work what we had at the time. So we, we used Facebook, but it was not like what Facebook is now. We didn't have Instagram, so it was really, really hard. And we use a lot our website to uh, written reports and photos. And then we had the CBF TV that was like a big investment that we could show the goals at least after the game. We could show, we could uh, publish our, um, as we said, the best moments of the match so people could start to, to know the players. We share their histories. So these were the main challenge at that time. Fernanda, you must have done something right because then you <laughs> you got, uh, I don't want to say a promotion, mainly because I will be misunderstood. I mean, maybe for people out there going from the women's team and then joining the men's team, that will be a promotion only because you are now covering the, the men's, but that's not the case. I'm just... But you did uh, keep working for the for CBF now as a whole institution, covering both men and women, and you became the institutional media officer. We normally focus on the negative comparisons between men and women, but in this case, if you can please tell us regarding media coverage, is there something men's football could learn from women's football from your experience there? Uh, actually, as institutional media officer, I help the men's team but I didn't work closely with the men's team I continued to work with the women's it was my main role 
but I started to work with the other areas inside CBF, like refereeing, competitions, when CBF started the license club, so I, I was the one charged with the interview with the director. So it was really good for me because I could understand more about the institution, more about the football, because football is not just 11 against 11 at the pitch, as people think. <laughs> there are many, many things around it and many, many things that we have to do to have the gameplay. But I don't like either to compare men's football with women's football because, I mean, people say, ah, it's football. Okay, it's football, but the history is not the same. The the difficulties are not the same. I, I don't, I think men's have many difficulties to get. If uh, there there is a survey, um, a long time ago in CBF that we published that uh, only 1% of all players is these big players that we know. So we have like 80, 83%, I, I'm not sure, but we had like many percent uh, that they don't have salary, they don't have work uh, for the whole year. So we, we, we cannot compare like this. But women's has its challenge but I think that what I was talking earlier is about the women's, they are more open, they are open to, to the game. I mean, they are, they, I, I feel, I'm not sure if I'm not a player, but I feel that they are more involved with the women's football. I mean, if you see uh, what Marta said said after the World Cup, if we see what Rapino said uh, after the U.S. won the World Cup, you can see that they are very involved with the game, with the women's game. So I think this is the main difference between them. Yeah, actually, if I can have here, it's not only, well, you said Marta, but uh, uh, in Brazil, you have a lot of examples. Um, what is uh, um, funny, if I can use this word, is that these these women they have been since the beginning, and you you, you accompanied them uh, through the whole the process. And we are talking about Marta, Formiga, Cristiana. They are there for ages. Let's say it. Since forever. And, yeah, and forever. Formiga will stay there forever for sure. <laughs> But it's it's like that, and they uh, kind of spread the awareness and the new generations that are starting now, they know what they, what they have to, to face. They still have to face. And actually uh, Brazil and even Portugal, I include also Portugal here, more than the, the other challenges that everybody has in the world to the women's football to break barriers. I think it's even uh, more difficult for countries like Portugal and Brazil. And Brazil, it, not only because of the cultural uh, history, but also the, you are a big country, you are a continent, <laughs> if we can say, so it will be more difficult uh, because of that. But the cultural barriers are a huge, huge uh, obstacle uh, that is challenging. But Let I me just jump, jump there. Sorry, Katia. I'm just, just... coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, but uh, you were so talking a bit about the kind of like social consciousness of these uh, women working footballers women women playing football 
And at the end of the day, and we had this discussion in our master with Katia for sure, but it's not that it's mandatory for athletes to speak up about things, but it is good that they can learn this from women. And, and that's also, I mean, I think this happens everywhere, mostly because women, they have struggled a lot and they have created this sense of empathy. I think that's really important to, to distinguish. And yeah, I agree completely with you. That's maybe the, the main difference uh, between that I've witnessed between men and women. But yeah, you go on, go on now, Katia. <laughs> so we had our interventions. It's done. <laughs> no. <laughs> But actually, as you said, It's, it's not good to compare on some things we, we cannot compare, uh, but there is a game that, that is the same. The game is the same because it is a ball and we're 11 against 11 in that we can say. And it is a game that we always we all love and we all dream, dream of. And working in football is exactly that, working on a dream. Uh, probably because we grow up surrounded by it and our memories are also connected with it be it through events or special moments, special games, etc. And in Brazil, I bet it is even more, especially regarding the national team. As you, you paint the streets, for example, um, you make a party out of it. And even historically, there were and are huge cultural, political and societal moments connected with football events. And you were one of the people working on these events these special occasions. So in general terms, how was it to work and represent your country? And how would you describe the importance of Brazil to football history and culture? Before you ask, I never thought about it, uh, representing my country. <laughs> Because I, I mean, I don't, I don't play. I, I, I know I'm, I'm in the World Cup working with the national team, but I never feel I never felt this way, but I always thought that I need to do the best when I was with the national team for the next generation, as you were saying. I mean, especially when I was with the youth teams, I always tried to help them to to improve their way to 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 talk about their message, what they want to to say. I mean, not that they have to say what we were talking about in the uh, previous question. They have to speak, they have to use the, the social medias to the right way so their message could be passed. So that's what I was thought. I never thought representing the country. I always thought that I could help them to improve themselves, themselves to, to be a better player in the way that I could help because I couldn't teach them to play, <laughs> so I could help them to talk better, to speak up for what they believe and that what I thought. Um, yeah, Brazil, it's like football is, is everywhere in Brazil. Like you cannot imagine during uh, in 2014 for the World Cup and even um, 2013 for the Confederations Cup, Like the country was crazy, crazy. I live in Rio and I stay in Rio during the World Cup working for CBF from the headquarters and um, our training sessions, training sites. I stay there 
Um, but when you go out, I mean, I've been to the final to work in Maracana in the Confederations Cup, Brazil, Spain. And like the streets were crazy. People, they didn't have tickets to go to the match, but they were around the stadiums, like with all the security stuff. It's something that we cannot ex explain. And in 2016, in the Olympics, in Rio, the football team, they don't play only in the city of the Olympics. They travel around the country to other cities. So when we arrive in Manaus, that is a very famous city for women's football because they have an important team there. When we arrived, the airport was, there was like plenty of fans, TVs, cameras. And I was like, Oh my God, this is really happened because we, we could never think that women's football could attract so many people at the airport. I mean, it was not the game. It was not like going to the game, going to the stadium or going. Uh, it was just arriving at the in the city and going to the hotel. So uh, it's really, really, really good and really crazy, the level of Brazilian people to football. I just want to add a quick note there because I was lucky enough to be in 2014 in Brazil. Um, but I, I remember the rivers of Colombians staying in the terminals just for the games and, and the amount of people traveling. I think they were the second uh, largest nationals uh, traveling to Brazil. Of course, because we're close. I mean, we, we, are in the, we have a frontier with Brazil, but... But for example, the, the, the thing was, how can you miss a World Cup in Brazil? I mean, that was definitely something happening once in a lifetime for an individual. And you just needed to sell your mom, as we say in Spanish or whatever, <laughs> to just get there and, and see your national team playing. I mean, of course, and, and after all these years, but I can definitely relate to what you're saying. That was incredible. That was one one huge opportunity for me. <laughs> I can speak for myself. Um, back to the serious part. I mean, and talking about big decisions in lives. You did one. And after working for CBF, you moved to Europe, uh, where you started working first as freelance journalist for women's experience sports. And also you did some researches for Grupo Sal. As well, you joined the Faculdade de Motricidade Humana in Portugal uh, to pursue a master's degree in sports management. What do you think it takes to go out of your comfort zone? I mean, of course, I mean, the, there is a connection between Brazil and Portugal, but you left a lot of things behind. And probably, can you please share some of the reasons that drove you to pursuing other professional and personal paths? Yes. It was like crazy. <laughs> I mean, wh when I told people in CBF that I was leaving, that I was going to Portugal to study, and all of them were like, are you crazy? <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> and maybe I'm crazy, <laughs> but uh, what, I, what I thought at that time that was kind of uh, answering the second questions. Um, I was really, really happy there. I loved my job. I love what I do, but I was doing 
the same thing for seven years. I mean, it's not the same because, of course, women's football changed during that time and the importance of women's football changed and uh, we had more media, we had more um, more stuff to do and more, uh, we had like many things new, but I always thought that I could do more and I don't want to be misunderstood, but not only being the media officer, I thought that I could do more if I had an open view for uh, what I was talking about. It's not just 11 against 11, like to understand the whole uh, football. I mean, marketing, uh, financials. I'm not great in financials, but now I know a little bit more about it, how it works. I don't know. I thought that I need to learn more about the structure so I could do a better professional. And if I stay there, I would never push myself out. You know what I mean? I was going to stay there to do the same until today. Of course, I would be in France in the amazing World Cup that we had there. But I was there as a fan. I, was, I watched Brazil against Australia. But... Uh, the 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 reasons that I left was that I I thought that I could do more, but I need to to study. I need to have more experience abroad to do more, not only in Brazil but Portugal in the world. I don't know where I'm going to be next in the next few years. I think we can completely relate with you. <laughs> I think I can speak for Maria too, because. There is some, that, something that sometimes we are afraid of is getting out of our comfort zone. But it's actually what we need uh, a lot of times. And this should, I, I have to say this, this should be mandatory for everybody at least one time in their lives. This, that doesn't mean to get out of your country, of course. It can be in different ways, but sometimes getting out of your country. It was what happened to me. Uh, so that's why. And actually, I think it, it, it helps as something that you said here, there was to think outside the box and the box is your country. And when you think outside of it, you'll be better, you will develop and you have a lot of ideas that maybe one day you can bring back to your country or not, it depends, but it can happen. So let's get back to, <laughs> to the, the guide. So you, you said you, you went to Portugal to study and to work for the Portuguese Football Federation. And in 2019, you started working working there as a team liaison officer. So it was your first role. Uh, can you tell us about this role and what did you learn from this experience? Yes, I came to Portugal to study. The, of course, I, I thought that maybe I, ha I could have an opportunity an opportunity in the Portuguese FA as I knew a few people there when I used to work with the women's team. I came to Algarve Cup with the team. So I met people from the Portuguese FA, but I didn't come with any job, anything. I just come to do my master for two years and then come back to Brazil. Was This was the first plan. Me, my husband and my dog. <laughs> So in 2019, 
I had this opportunity to work with uh, uh, as team liaison officer. And I don't know if people know what is this uh, role, so I will very quickly explain. Uh, it's to be in charge for the visiting team when they come to play with the Portuguese team. And it's not just a Portuguese uh, role. Like, I mean, if you go uh, play uh, all around the world, you always have this person to receive, to be in charge of the visiting team and be the, the, the contact with the national federation. So I was uh, the one that has to communicate with the Portuguese FA, with the coordinator of the game in that opportunity with the visiting team. So uh, what were they, their schedule to book the, the driver, uh, to, to check if all the, the needs for the training sessions are, were good. Uh, if they had any problem, I need to talk to the coordinator so to try to help to solve the problem. It's basic that, and what I learned, um, I always uh, feel curious about this job because when I was with the Brazilian team, I always uh, been very close with our TLOs around the world. I mean, as all of them were women and I was almost the only women with the Brazilian staff, I was usually very close to them so I could help them. Maybe at some time they didn't speak Portuguese, so I was like kind of help the translation and and what I think I learned and I think it's the, for me, uh, is the best thing as being a TLO is to know other cultures. I mean, I've worked with the under 20 Cape Verdean team, men's teams. I work with the women's Chinese teams and with the Serbian men's team for a qualified game for the Euro, men's Euro. So it's like three totally different cultures, three totally different uh, people that you had to, to fit in their, I don't know how to explain, but the Chinese, they are very different from us, the Serbian either. Maybe the Cape Verdean, they are more close because uh, Brazilian, Portuguese, and Cape Verdean are similar in, in culturally. But for me, the best thing was that to know their culture, to see how they work and how I could uh, use the way that they work to improve myself in my work. So that's what I thought that was the best of this experience. And fast forward to today, you are currently working as an events manager for the Portuguese Football Federation. What kind of tournaments do you plan? Because you mentioned this way, way earlier, which is the, the problem that we all have about, I mean, we're always thinking about the big national team, but there are several teams under 20s, under 14s, so for example, I, I remember talking with, the, with a guy in Colombia in charge of this, and he was aware that they didn't get much coverage because, yeah, we're always thinking about the, the big ones, right? So if you can go deeper on that. And also, what would you recommend for professionals to reinforce 
if they want to intervene in a position like yours? Uh, my 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 work at the federation. I work with the uh, women's football uh, in in their games. Um, I didn't. I don't work with the youth. We had like another. It's uh, it's together, but it's not in my. It's not my part. But I I don't coordinate this part. I just coordinate the women's games. I coordinate the national women's games uh, when they play at home official games like qualifier for world cup for euros and also the 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 finals for the the cup and the league cup there is a new competition but i think the the biggest tournament that i coordinate here is the algarve cup there is a very uh, traditional tournament in women's football that we had like the best national teams around the world so it's basically that and speaking uh, about the youth we have um, we have another person that is in charge but I can I work sometimes in their games not as a coordinator but doing another work if they need I mean if they want me to stay with the sports organization that means that I need to stay with the teams during the game to do the kickoff to 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 do the substitute to receive the refs and I could do this but I'm in charge for the women's games the women's matches the women's team A I mean <laughs> and what I recommend it's I mean it I always feel very not uncomfortable, but for me, it's still very weird. Like when people come to me and what do you think I, I have to do? I mean, I don't feel like in, I'm in that position yet, <laughs> uh, but I think that uh, people who wants to work as a, as a event manager, they have, um, I mean, they don't have to, but I think it's important if they are like, um, communicative and like proactive I mean you you have to talk with all areas uh, to know what they what are their needs I mean media accreditation security uh, as a coordinator you need to know how everything is going on so if you have uh, anything that is wrong you can correct you can help you can you you need to be very prepared so nothing can disturb in the exact moment of the game. It's like you need to be very organized to know everything. I know it's hard and seems and it looks like you you are a machine, but it's you don't need to know like the exactly minimal point of security where it's going to stay, but you need to know the, the, the big thing of security. Who is going to enter with that, uh, by that door? Who is going to out, be outside by that door? At what time will the delegates arrive? You, you need to be the macro. You need to know the macro of everything. Great and great advice. And if, if I can uh, connect everything, and usually when we talk about women's football, Nowadays, it's a bit different, but we still have the comments like, okay, it's an easy tournament, it's an easy event, but actually it's not. 
And uh, in Portugal, we have been seeing differences. For example, the last Cups uh, have been uh, hosted at the major stadiums. Maybe this year was was a bit uh, easier in a way and difficult in another because you didn't have um, public. But at the same time, the way that you are hosting the, the final at the, the big stadium, uh, for us as a as a Portuguese, I have to say it's a big a big thing. It's a big step. I also have to say that I I want more. <laughs> we all I think we all need need to say it. Not only the fans but the, the, the professionals because women's football is developing. So only wanting if we want want more, we will be better. But actually, it's like this: is everybody's saying it's a, a women's football event. It's not that big a big thing. We only have the Euros or World Cup. Uh, the uh, biggest stages. Uh, of, sorry for the common ball way. Yeah, <laughs> I always let, <laughs> leave the common ball. <laughs> sorry for that. But for example, Libertadores too. Um, there was a big tournament too uh, a few months ago. So and and if we this is also a macro perspective, right? And but we need to look also to the micro micro perspective. And this micro perspective, if every federation does something as it is being done now for, for the Portuguese Football Federation side, we will improve the, the game, of course. Uh, and you, get, you gave us uh, good advices, not only for, for our audience, but for, for us too. <laughs> Maybe one day we can work as in that position. And actually, it is a, um, a part of the industry that is changing uh, a lot, not only because of the pandemic, but because of the external factors. And... Um, Inside and outside of the pitch, uh, technology has been uh, incorporated everywhere. So this changes also your job position for sure. A football match nowadays is not only the 90 minutes experience, especially uh, because of the new generations. The, the, the public is changing, the fandom is changing, and the new generations are demanding a lot uh, for the whole football fans. So how do you see the future of football events as a, an events manager? How have you been preparing for Gen Z fans, uh, the usage of technology and the new normality amongst others? I think the events are changing everywhere, not just football and not just in Europe. I mean, the pandemic ha uh, obliged us to do like many, many changes in the way that we work, like we had at the beginning, especially we had to work with less people, that is crazy. Uh, no fans at the stadium, that is for football. I mean, people may think that, ah, it's easier to organize a game without public. Okay, maybe it's easier like logistically, but I mean, the main core of football is the fans. So how can we, how can we get them if they cannot go to the stadium. So, um, and we, in the Portuguese FA, we have, we have a department that is the business intelligence that they work uh, with this part, like how to touch them, even we cannot touch. <laughs> it's kind of, it's very difficult, but uh, our social media have been working very hard on that, like to, showing the backstage of our games and i mean maybe this is the easy people can say oh this is easy but it's not easy if you are having like many barriers during the game with due to covid like people cannot 
being together and we still trying to show what still happened. So uh, it's not my job that, as though I'm not very aware what they are really doing. I just know like this, the big part, like uh, social media that I can say, but it's very different. And I think we will need to adaptate ourselves to that because when the fans can come back to the stadium, probably we will have a lot of challenges. Um, will we have still have the social distance? Will they have to be vaccinated? Will they have to do the test before coming inside the stadium? How they are going to, to eat? Will we have the bars? Will we have someone to go in through their chairs. I don't know. It's many, many details to think about. So I think we will have to uh, step by step, like maybe we have like 5,000 people in a stadium of uh, 50,000 at first, and then we'll adapt to each game. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. That's, I think the word is always uncertainty. But the good part is that uh, it incentivates innovation, I think. That's what I, that's what we're all trying to do, even by recording this podcast from our houses. Um, Fernanda, you know that uh, time is a limited resource and we're coming to the end of this interview. But we wanted to close this um, with a special feature that you, you post on LinkedIn. I will start. I want to read something that I, that I wrote on this, which is, Opportunities come and go, but men and women are not forced to say no to them the same amount of times. Starting April, you open up to LinkedIn about motherhood and its impact in women's professional careers, yours in this case. Are there improvements to be done to help women's difficulties to keep their professional paths while becoming mothers? And if you can also add specifically, what do you think about this matter being dealt in sports? Yes, these articles were like was like crazy for me because <laughs> I I I haven't been writing for a long time and one day I woke up and I was just like writing writing and okay I'll publish and then I no I won't no I will no I won't so I decided to to post it because I think many women maybe they are passing through the same situation or they will pass as I didn't have anyone. It's not that I didn't have anyone to change, but I to to talk about it, but I didn't have anyone that I feel comfortable to talk. I mean, in motherhood, people judge you no matter what decision you choose. So I heard after I said no, I heard, oh my God, you had to say yes. And no, 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 you were completely you are completely right. You can never leave your daughter three months old. And okay, I don't want to know if I did it right or I did wrong. I just did what I felt I was have, I, I had to do. But this is not the point. This, the point is, I think we had improved a lot in this, in this case, uh, especially here in Europe. Uh, Fathers and mothers have have maternity and paternity license. This is not happening in Brazil yet, but 
what I studied in my master's study is that one of the causes that women's not in the high levels job is because of that, that like culturally women's have to stay at home with their babies, with their family, have to be in charge of the domestic housework. So even though you say, no, it's not true. Come on, my husband helped me. My my husband does the does the dishes or and anything. The society thinks that the women has to do that. So this is the 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 the, the men's situation. And because of that, women are uh, they don't go to they don't stay like uh, until hours late night hours working they don't go to network they they don't do network because they don't go to happy hour because they have to leave the work very quickly to go home to to feed their baby their daughter their the children you know even though you say and you think no this is change this is not changing <laughs> because people still think this is the responsibility of only women uh, and I have just an example uh, of my sister. She she doesn't work with uh, sports. She work she works with marketing. But a few years ago, she was 26 at that time, and she was in a job interview, and uh, the person of the HR asked her, uh, "So, um, are you dating?" And she said, "Yes." So do you intend to have kids in the next years? And she was like, what? I mean, do you think he would he would do the same question if she was a guy? Of course not. So this is crazy. Like people still does this kind of question during a job interview. And this is what my sister, 26 years. It's not like my mom, like, 30 years ago or my grandmother 50 years ago. This is crazy. So I think uh, even though we have a few improvements, we still have culturally uh, these things to change. And that's what I thought when I was sharing my testimonial in LinkedIn, because not only we I, I could help women, but I could help men to think about it because they, as they are in the the high level jobs so they could make this change and sometimes they don't even think about it because it's not that they are they didn't they they don't think this is important they just don't don't leave it's not their life so they cannot think about it if they are not impacted about it you know so that's it and specifically about sports i think um i don't know a lot about it, but I read and uh, FIFPRO approved the maternity license for players. And I think even though it's, it's still like uh, a little bit cloudy, a little bit the, the clubs, they don't have to do it, but still they they have to. I think it's a, a big deal that they are that we are talking about it, even if it's still slowly. But maybe we can, we could all follow the U.S. example, like we had like 
the the players in Orlando Pride uh, was uh, in this case Orlando Pride probably Morgan Ashlyn Aries yeah. Ali yeah exactly yeah. and the one that has two two babies now is the Sydney Leroux yeah the Leroux's so maybe we could all follow this and I don't know maybe it's a solution but the point is it's getting better maybe not in the speed that we want but it's getting better for women and motherhood in sports Fernanda thank you very much for talking about those things that uh, maybe many aren't open to talk about and in general terms Brazil is a country close to both of our hearts <laughs> and this has been <laughs> nice enjoyable and really enriching for us uh, personally and hopefully we will inspire as well all of our audiences so thank you for being here thank you so much for all the questions hope it was uh, interesting and fun <laughs> and if you need anything I've, i'll be here <laughs> of course of course fernanda well thank you thank you again and Remember, you can check our episodes and their related content in our accounts on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube with the name at Two Goals Podcast. Stay safe, watch football, and share our episodes, and have a lovely day. Bye.